Well, good morning, church. My name is Nate. I'm the family pastor here. And whether you're joining us here in the worship center or in the chapel or downstairs in the family venue, we just want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here. And I am really excited to open up God's word with you this morning. So my freshman year of college, I remember a call I received because it was late at night. I was just getting ready to go to bed. And if any of you have ever received one of those calls that's just a little bit too late into the night or maybe even a little too early in the morning, your heart just starts to go. And my fears were confirmed when I answered the phone call from my dad. And he let me know that his mom, my grandma, had had an unexpected medical emergency and that she would be likely dying within hours. So I had gotten bad news before, but nothing like this in my life, because my grandma, she did not know and love and follow Jesus. So immediately, I just started praying, and I prayed for a couple hours until I got my next call that let me know that she had passed away. And for all I know, uh, she likely rejected Christ to the end. The next morning, I woke up, and the first person I saw was this guy named Paul, and he, he was becoming a friend of mine, and I was so relieved to see him because he wasn't just becoming a friend, but I knew he was a follower of Jesus. So in that moment, what I needed more than anything else was just a godly friend just to pour my heart out to, to share what was going on. So I told him about my grandma. I told him she didn't know the Lord. I told him that she died. And what he said to me was the last thing I expected. He said, Nate, I hear what you're saying, and I know you're upset that your grandma's in hell, but you should not be mourning. You should be rejoicing right now. And he said, God, he said, God is enjoying her damnation, and you should be too. And then he walked away. Do you know that in our hardest times of life, where we're experiencing the worst loss and suffering, when someone comes in to that grief, they can either comfort and help you through, or they also have the potential to make things a lot, lot worse. As we continue on with the story of Job this morning. We're going to see by looking at the friends who showed up into Job's grief that when we see others that are dealing with loss and suffering, we have an opportunity to come and to help and to comfort. And we also have the potential to make things a lot, lot worse. I want to be really clear before I move on because I know every time we gather, there are those of you here who might be new to the church, new to the Christianity. Maybe you're just visiting and checking things out today, and I want to be really clear about something. We Christians do believe in the hard reality of hell, but the way my friend Paul talked about it was just completely and utterly wrong. I feel confident saying that because God said it himself. In Ezekiel 33:11, God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So what he was saying 
was wrong. He had very, very bad theology and even worse timing. And I'll tell you, in case you can't tell yourself, he did not help me in my moment of need. He made things a lot, lot worse. As we look at many chapters in the book of Job that we're going to cover this morning, we're going to see his friends show up on the scene. And we know, if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, we know that Job was a man who encountered more loss and suffering than most of us could ever imagine. And this morning, as we continue our journey with Job, we're going to be diving into these chapters where these friends show up to try to comfort him and to try to help him and even to try to challenge him. And there's ways where they did this really well, and there's other ways where they completely missed the mark, and we're going to look at both. So if you would, turn to Job chapter 2. We're going to jump in at verse 11, right where we left off last week. And we're going to be seeking the answer to this big question this morning. How do we walk with our friends through loss and suffering? So Job chapter 2, starting in verse 11, we're going to read through to the third verse of the third chapter. And I'd ask you this morning just to keep your Bibles open. We're going to be looking at tons of different passages as we go through this big chunk of Scripture this morning. So starting in chapter 2, verse 11. You would join with me. It says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite. And they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and they wept and they tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights and no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his suffering was very great. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born and the night that said, a man is conceived. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you'd help us to understand your word this morning as we walk with Job and his friends. We ask that you would open our eyes to how we can be a comfort and a help as our loved ones walk through seasons of loss and suffering. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's our big question again. How do we walk with our friends through loss and suffering? And how we're going to investigate that in God's word today is pretty simple. We're just going to first notice what Job's friends did well so that we can do it too. And then we're going to notice what they did poorly so that we can avoid making the mistakes that they did. We're going to start with what they did well. So if you look back to the scriptures, back to chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, And we see here that Job's three friends, they show up, this Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And look at what it says. It says, when they heard what was happening to Job, they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and to comfort him. And Job is dealing with such a mess in his life, is dealing with so much hardship, they can't even recognize him anymore. Physically, he looks so different. His disposition has changed so much. 
And when they see that, they just mourn with them. They raise their voices and weep. And what they would do back in that day is they'd tear their clothes and sprinkle dust on their heads. So the first good thing I hope you're seeing here that Job's friends did was they showed up and they mourned with them. Now, showing up and mourning might seem like the most basic, most obvious thing. Do we even need to talk about this? But I'll tell you, as a pastor, I've seen countless times as I've walked through uh, times of loss and suffering with different families, different communities, that unfortunately, at these hardest times, it's often the times when our most loved ones stay the farthest away. And sometimes that can be for selfish reasons, but I've found in the church when I'm interacting with Christians, uh, it's often not for selfish reasons, but actually they have these well-intentioned but wrong reasons. You might relate to some of these. Maybe when you see someone close to you going through a really difficult time, you think, hey, I don't want to be a nuisance. I'll just give them space. I'm sure they're busy. They have so much going on already. I'll just stay back. Or maybe you think, I don't know what I would say at this point. I've never experienced anything like that myself, so I I don't know what I would contribute. I'd probably just say something that makes things worse. Or maybe you just think, I just think I'd be awkward in that type of a situation, and I really think it would bless them more if I just didn't go. Those feelings and those thoughts are real, And I get it, but many times they're also lies that are keeping us from doing exactly what God has called us to do, to show up and to mourn with those who mourn. I remember in one of my first weeks here uh, at Peace Church, I was in my office and I got a little knock at the door. So I look and it was Pastor Ryan and he said, hey, uh, we got to go. We were in between care pastors at that time and he said, just got a call. Uh, There's a couple in our church who their daughter has cancer, and she's just in her final moments, and we're going to go, and we're going to be with that family. As we rode in his truck on the way there, I remember just kind of nervously confessing to my new boss that even though I'd been a pastor for a while now, I still hadn't really figured out what to do, what to say in these moments. I had some ideas, but I didn't feel equipped or comfortable to do it. I remember what he said to me because it stuck with me and I've carried it with me ever since. He said, can I tell you, things this hard, nobody really knows what to do or say. He says, we, we got some idea, but you got to just show up and you just got to follow whatever God has for you. And just by showing up, I found time and time again that God shows up and he works through us. So even if you take nothing else away today, I hope that you remember that the people of God, we show up and we mourn with those who mourn. So when you see your friends, your family, your loved ones in times of deep grief, loss, suffering, move towards them. Don't back away. Do you look back at chapter 2 with me, this last verse 13 start of chapter 3, we're going to see what else Job's friends did well. It says that when they showed up, they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And listen to this. It says, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw his suffering was very great. 
After their seven days of silence, it says, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. You can read in the whole of chapter 3 more and more of this, but Job says, Let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said a man is conceived. As we look in this hard moment in the life of Job, as his friends sat there with him, we see another thing they did well. They were quiet, and they listened to him. I want you to know, if you're one of those people who thinks, I don't know what to say in those moments, if you're sitting there in the visitation line and you're getting nervous because you go, what can I contribute? If you get the news and you're driving over to be with someone in pain and you go, where do I even start? I want you to know, this is good news, that oftentimes the best thing you can say is not much. Show up, mourn with them, be quiet at first, and listen. There's so much value brought in your quiet presence. There's so much value brought in you mourning with them and listening to them as they process deep grief. So we need to, as the people of God, do what Job's friends did well. And when we enter into these moments, we need to be quiet and listen. And I know for some of us, this is harder than others. I'm a talker myself. I know there's some talkers here. You live life like you're a radio DJ that's just fighting that dead airtime. If you're at a social gathering and there's three seconds of silence, you feel the compulsion to just fill that void with whatever you can contribute just to keep things moving forward. I get it. I'm one of those people. I want to challenge you this morning. I think people like us who have seen how our words have helped, we can show up and just start spitting out anything we can think to say. Show up, be quiet, and listen. Sometimes it's best just to keep your mouth shut at the beginning. And I know some of you don't relate to that because you would be more on the shy side of things. I want to ask you to be bold for one second. If you consider yourself a quiet, maybe even a shy person, would you just raise your hand for a second? I want to see if there's anyone here. This is hard for you. All the hands are going down really fast. It was up and down. That was your challenge. That was your challenge for today. Sorry for bringing so much attention to you. (laughs) I want to encourage you more than challenge you because God has made you a very special way. And we live in a society that often lifts up and celebrates those who stand up, who speak up, and who lead with a loud voice. But we forget that God designed some to serve a special purpose. And I would argue In times where people are hurting the most, if that's you, if you feel like I'm kind of more quiet, more reserved, God has designed you to show up in these moments with your quiet and calm presence and your listening ear, and he has made you to serve him in this beautiful way. Keep doing what you're doing. And maybe those of us who aren't so good at it, we will watch, maybe even listen, and learn something as we watch you serve God in the way that you were designed to. So how do we walk with our friends through loss and suffering? If we're following the good examples of Job's friends, we show up, we mourn with those who mourn, we sit quietly, and we listen. But unfortunately, we've hit the end of the road here in this third chapter of the really good things we see Job's friends do. And the next 20-some chapters... (laughs) We see instead things we shouldn't do. 
So let's notice what Job's friends did poorly so that we can avoid making the same mistakes that they did. So if you are still got your Bibles open, look at chapter 4. Job's friend Eliphaz is the first one to speak up. Verse 1 says this, Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If one ventures a word with you, Job, will you be impatient? Yet who can keep from speaking? Now pause here. We've been discussing the value of silence and the value of listening, but I want to be really clear that there is a moment that we speak when we're helping others in their loss and suffering. We might speak to bring a word of comfort or encouragement. We might uh, proclaim scriptural truth and promises from God. We might pray for them, or there might even be times where we have to follow the Lord's Spirit to even challenge in the right way. But speaking in itself is not the problem. And as we look at Job's three friends here, we're just going to look at the first thing that each of them said to Job. And they just go through these cycles and cycles of talking to Job and telling him Job responds. And if you've read this portion of Scripture, you know cycles and cycles. But them speaking isn't the error here. It's how they spoke. It's that they didn't always speak what was true, and they didn't speak what was timely. Let's see it in the scriptures. First friend, Eliphaz. Look back at chapter 4 where we're at, picking up where we left off in verse 3. This is what Eliphaz says to Job. Behold, you have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways, your hope? Now pause here and keep in mind as we read these next three verses what Job just lost. He didn't just lose all of his possessions. He lost all of his children. And Eliphaz says this to Job, verse 7. Remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the breath of God, they perish. And by the blast of his anger, they are consumed. So let's sum up Eliphaz's message to Job here. It says, Job, you want to know why your kids are dead? Because they were not innocent. And in the blast of God's anger, they were consumed. Now, these last couple weeks, if you've been here, we've been studying the first two chapters of Job, and we've learned exactly what specifically led to the death of Job's children. Yes, they were sinners, of course. We all are. But did God allow them to die tragically all at the same time, on the same day, in this moment, because of their great sin? No. There was something bigger going on behind the scenes in the spiritual realm that we've gotten a window into. There was a greater purpose that they weren't aware of, but Job's friends and Job himself are not aware of it either. They weren't able to read what happened in the heavenly realms, this conversation between God and the evil one. So with that in mind, was everything that Eliphaz said true? No. And we can take it one more step because even with what Eliphaz had right, because certainly all of Job's children and Job himself were sinners. And we know the wages of sin is death. But 
he was missing the element of what God was actually doing. And in fact, later on, God comes back and corrects all of these three friends. So we know that he was missing the mark. But even if he wasn't, this be the right timing for that conversation? Is that truly the first words that Job needs to hear from his friend? He did good in the silence, but he messed it up when he started speaking because it wasn't true and it wasn't timely. Second friend, Bildad, does more of the same. Turn to chapter 8, if you have your Bibles open. This is the first time Bildad speaks up, and you'll recognize his message because it sounds very similar to the other friend, Eliphaz. Chapter 8, verse 1 says this, Then Bildad the Shuite answered and said, How long will you say these things, and the words of your mouth be a great wind? Did God pervert justice, or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are just pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. And though your beginning was small, your latter days will be very great. So stop there. Bildad goes after Job's kids, just like Eliphaz did. And just like his other friend, he's working off the assumption that God is angry at Job for some bad behavior. And if he'll just become better, more pure, and more righteous, then God will reward him by making everything right again. Is this true? No. Is it timely? Not at all. Because of these wrong assumptions and their careless words, Job's friends, when they were speaking to try to help him, their lack of truth and the lack of telling this at the right time in a timely way caused destruction in their wake. Turn to chapter 11, and we'll see this last friend, Zophar. He shows us more of the same, but I want you to see how consistent this is. Chapter 11, starting in verse 1. We'll read through verse 6. It says, Then Zophar the Namathite answered and said, Should a multitude of words go unanswered and a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men, and when you mock, shall no one shame you? For you say, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in God's eyes. But oh, that God would speak and has opened his lips to you, that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom. For he is manifold in understanding. And pause here. Because before we read this last line, I want you to just picture Job in your head. He's lost everything he's ever owned. He's lost his 10 children that he and his wife love so dearly. And he's in so much physical pain and torment that he not only wishes that he was dead, he wished he was never born in the first place. And this is what Zophar says in this moment, ending verse 6. He says, Know then, Job, that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Zophar's message, just like these first two friends, it fails the truth test and it fails the timely test. And this cycle goes on and on and on for chapters and chapters, and we can't go through all of them this morning, but I think you get the point. Job's friends did not approach his grief and the depths of his despair carefully. So because of that, they did not speak in a way that was true or that was timely. And this morning, I hope we can learn from their mistakes 
and not make the same ones because we, the people of God, when we go to our family, to our friends, to our community that is hurting, we need to speak what is true and we need to speak what is timely. So let's get really practical here. How do we actually do that here and now? How do we show up in these hard situations and speak in a truthful and a timely way? Well, thankfully here at Peace Church, we have an in-house expert on this. If you haven't met our care pastor, PB, I'm going to invite him up. We're going to have a little conversation here. And PB is the best I've known in my life of living this out. Uh, If you haven't met PB yet, I'm surprised because he's the friendliest guy I know. (laughs) But you should also be a little bit grateful because PB does go into the hardest situations that our church members are facing. He and our zone elders who care for our church, they do their best to follow the biblical examples of comfort and care in people's times of need. But if you look around, wherever venue you're in right now, you'll see that there's no way one man or even one team can do it alone. We all need to learn to care for each other. So we've brought Pastor PB. It's Pastor Bob, but he goes by PB. Exactly. uh, And I'm just going to ask him some questions um, as we just draw from a couple years of pastoral wisdom and experience. 38 years. 38 years of pastoral ministry. So would you welcome PB up this morning? (laughs) Thank you. All right. So as our care pastor and as a pastor in lots of different capacities, can you just tell us some real-life examples, times where you've seen this done poorly? Let's just start there. How much time do I have? Yeah. Okay. Well, let me just give you one that I think fits really well, unfortunately. Um, a friend of mine lost um, their father unexpectedly. And uh, they were in their receiving line at the funeral home, and, and a friend came up to her and started quoting Scripture to her and said, well, you know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are those who are called according to his name, which is Romans 8, 28, which we believe the word of God to be true, right? Yeah. I mean, that's why we're here. Yeah. But that was not the right time to say that with this sudden loss. In fact, when I talked to that person later, they said, if I could have, I would have punched her in the throat. Mm. <laughs> because I knew it was true, but I didn't want to hear that at that moment. But then the other thing that I have realized is that um, many of us have pets, right? And to lose a pet is a very hard thing. But please, please don't equate losing a pet to the loss of a loved one. There is no comparison. Hmm. But people have done that before. Hmm. And it's it's very difficult to to help people in that way. Hmm. PV, I could see myself, if I was listening to this, There'd be a part of me that's going, wait, hold on. You're saying sharing scripture is, is a bad thing? And I know that's not what you're saying. Right. Wait, are you saying we don't believe that? Not at all. But there's a scriptural place for lament right. and moments. Right. And then there's a time for hope and right. encouragement. And there's just timing involved. Exactly. So that was true, but it, not timing. Not timing. Well, you know, and, and now that you bring that up, there is a difference between crying and lamenting. I think crying is just expressing sorrow, and lamenting is what we do as followers of Christ to enhance our worship and being honest before God and say, God, I hope I can say this. I like my job. Um, This sucks right now, Mm -hmm. and I can't deal with this anymore. Mm -hmm. And God needs to hear us lament in that way, but always bringing us closer to Mm -hmm. him in the process. Amen. Awesome. 
Okay, well, that was the hard stuff. What, have you seen examples of people doing this well, where they actually show up and they help instead of hurt? Well, yes, and, and what's exciting about that for me, Nate, is, um, I'm Pastor Nate, I'm sorry, um, is, is this whole thing about what I call the ministry of presence or silence. Mm. You hit on that really well today. Mm. But there are moments when you don't say to them, let me know when I can come over, because they don't have a clue, and they will not tell you. Mm. You don't say, I understand, if you've never been there and experienced that with them. Mm because it's the worst thing that you could do. But you can go, let them cry, let them be themselves, because they don't even know how they're dealing with it. Mm -hmm. So as Job's friend did for seven days, practice the ministry of silence and say, okay, but go. Um, Joette and I made a mistake years ago with some some friends, and we didn't go. Hmm. Because they said, don't come, no, don't worry about it. They were really telling us to come, and we didn't come. It's hard to. It is hard to know. Hard to navigate. Yeah, that. we it trust is. in the spirit, and exactly. we pray, and we use wisdom. Exactly. Well, when we do speak, because we love that concept of ministry of presence, silence. But when we feel God leading us to speak, what are just some of the things that we say that we don't say? Just very practically, what wisdom do you have for us? You can say this. Can I pray with you? Okay? I think that's probably the one of the most important, whether it's a follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ. Um, I've had opportunities with people who don't follow Christ and say, can I pray with them? And some are hesitant, but they let me. Hmm. And I think there's such incredible power in prayer that that breaks down barriers in just having a relationship with them. There are other words that you could use, other phrases, but the reality is you want to bring them to the Father Mm. and let them know the value of the relationship with the Father. Amen. Awesome. Well, what are a couple resources we could look at as we just go from here and want to learn more about this? Oh, great, great question. Um, There is a book out there right now called um, Dark Clouds, Great Mercy, or Deep Mercy, if, if you are going through a difficult time, I would recommend getting this book and being able to read it. But it's also on a podcast on Revive Our Hearts, so you can listen to it there. And then secondly, which I really love the church doing this, is that we are offering a grief share program. Mm-hmm. So if anybody has gone through grief, Friday nights, 7 o'clock, um, it meets. It's a great opportunity awesome. to be able to deal with people. And people who have gone through grief yeah. are leading this too. Yeah. Well, praise God. Thank yeah. you for you leading us in those efforts. And I just want to let you know, every week we do something called That's a Good Question. And so uh, PB and I will be doing it this week. So if you have specific questions, because we're just scratching the surface about this whole topic, um, we can hardly get into the 20-some chapters that we're trying to cover today. But if you have more specific questions, please send those in. We'd love to discuss them, and they can bless uh, others who have the same questions. So can we just awesome. say thank, thank you to PB uh, for his time here? Thank you. For what he's doing. Thank you. I want you to know, uh, if you're feeling like there's a void of something in this whole sermon, like something's just missing, that can happen when we're looking at the Old Testament. Because there's someone that we know speaks to this situation but he hasn't fully showed up on the scene yet. We feel the shadow of the cross. And 
While we talked about the good things that Job's friends did, and certainly we can do our best to emulate those, and we talked about the bad things that we want to avoid, there's something that Job's friends, to their credit, something they couldn't do that we can on the other side of the cross. Because as we've been saying, as we've been looking at the life of Job, we look forward and we know that the cross changes everything. We can show up and we can be quiet and we can listen and we can mourn with them. But when there hits a point to speak, PB shared with us one of the most beautiful things we can do is pray. One more thing that's always truthful and that is most of the time timely is generously sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus came. He gave his life for us, died on the cross in our place, took on our punishment, and rose again, defeating the brokenness and our sin and death. We celebrate that on Easter, bringing that message, whether that's to a believer who just needs some encouragement, needs to be reminded of the good news that they've believed, before, or even if you're with someone who doesn't know Jesus, these times of suffering and loss, the thing we can know is truthful and that we can pray about asking God, just show me the right time and the right way to share it, is the good news of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, I was with uh, an elderly woman in our church. I was visiting her. She could no longer live on her own, so she was in uh, a home that was taking care of her, and I went to visit her one time, and I was just sitting with her and listening and ask, trying to ask some good questions. And I kind of ran out of things to say. So I tried to just sit there, not just get up and leave because I was uncomfortable, but just sit there and wait. And she looked at me and tears started welling up in her eyes and pouring down her face. And this woman who had been in church her whole life said, I'm just scared that I'm not going to make it to heaven. I didn't fully know what was behind all that. I didn't know if she had a total misunderstanding of the gospel and she thought she needed to earn or if she was just nearing the end of her days and just a little understandable fear was starting to well up. But in that moment, I knew that the thing that was most truthful and most timely would not be to just sit and say, yeah, that's really, that's really tough but to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And I don't know if she needed to hear it for the thousandth time just for encouragement, or maybe it was the first time that it was truly connecting with her heart. But I want you to know, as you go and put these practical things that we learned from Job's friends into practice, I want you to know that the most beautiful thing we can do in these moments is remember that the cross changes everything. Amen. Would you stand up with me? We are going to pray, and we are going to worship, and we're going to thank God for the cross. And as we end, I just want to remind us one more time, how do we walk with others through loss and suffering? Well, we show up, we mourn with those who mourn, we sit quietly, and we listen, and when we do speak, we make sure we are careful and prayerful as we speak what is true and as we speak what is timely. And we can know that the most true thing we can ever proclaim is the good news of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we've looked at your word. We've learned. We've been reminded now. Our prayer is that you, by the power of your spirit, would put this to good use 
in our lives, in our community, and in our world. God, bring us to those who are suffering. Give us the courage to not shy away and give us the wisdom and the love to do it well so that people are blessed and that you are glorified. We love you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name.